and welcome back to the Cory Doctorow podcast on a very busy Sunday afternoon. I am just getting ready to head to Brussels tomorrow to speak at the Competition and Regulation in Disrupted Times conference that Charles River Associates is putting on. It is free to attend if you are in Brussels. It's also free to stream if you're anywhere else. And it is a real all-star gathering of tech trustbusters of every description many of whom I've had long and fruitful correspondences with, but have never met in person. I even bought a new suit for it because the pandemic made me too fat to fit in any of my suits. Oh no, I might have a gig coming up in the Far East in September, assuming COVID does not foreclose upon that possibility. And if that happens, I might get a suit made. This was something I used to do a lot when I worked for EFF and spent a lot of time in, among other places, Singapore and uh, Hong Kong, where it was cheaper to buy a suit that was handmade than it was to buy one off the peg here in the United States. Anyway, that is neither here nor there. The point being that I will be there, I will be speaking, and my belly will fit comfortably in the confines of my new suit. And someday I might also lose those COVID pounds, which may in fact happen because my hip replacements are now I'd say 80% recovered, and I'm doing a lot of exercise. I just came back from a week in San Francisco with my family. Didn't get as much work done as I'd like to, but I did get a lot of walking done with our daughter while my wife was at the Game Developers Conference, including a protracted hike pretty much entirely uphill through Mere Woods on two artificial hips, one of which has just gone 12 weeks. And so I'm feeling pretty good about my recovery. I will also be speaking at the Philadelphia Emerging Technologies for the Enterprise Conference with a talk called Seize the Means of Computation on April the 20th. That is a virtual conference, and it will cost to attend, so if you can make it, or if you're in Philly, I hope you'll come and see my keynote there. I, as I mentioned, was in San Francisco last week and did not get as much work done as I'd like to have, but I did manage to finish the Little Brother short story, Vigilant, about remote invigilation. That is now with some expert reviewers awaiting some feedback. And I also finished the script for an EFF video I'm going to make about how interoperability would work with Facebook. And that has gone through both legal and technical review, and so I'm going to be recording some narration for it and doing some other things soon. As I mentioned, I'm heading to Brussels, and the big news in Brussels is that a law that I had some small role in crafting, the Digital Markets Act, a landmark tech antitrust law, has made a significant step towards being enacted in the European Union this week. And um, that is going to be the subject of a lot of the discussion at this conference this week as well. Could not be better timed. And I think it's excellent news for all of us who care about technology and technological self-determination, because it's going to require that companies allow us to use interoperable products, for example, to connect to their messenger products with third-party messenger products or use third-party app stores with their services. It is great news. If you see any news analysis about it, do take a look. It's pretty groundbreaking. All right, so this week's reading is another short one for obvious reasons. Got to pack the suitcase, got to do some exercise, got to help the kid with her homework. Uh, She's doing a bioethics project, which is very exciting. She's going to be doing a project where she is doing a debate where she has to argue against the idea that we should take genetic profiles of everyone as soon as they're born. So for obvious reasons, I'm able to give her some feedback on how to take that argument in her debate. Turns out ninth grade biology has some pretty cool units in it kudos to her teacher. Anyway, I do have to get to that. And so this is going to be a brief reading, but one that I hope you'll enjoy. 
It's from a recent Medium column, and it's called The Byzantine Premium, on the contradiction at the heart of Bitcoin advocacy. When you write critically about blockchain, Bitcoin, speculation, NFTs, and DeFi, you get an earful back. Advocates for these things are, well, aggressive is a polite term for how many believers respond to critiques of their financial, philosophical, technological project. But any discussion with even halfway reasonable coiners arrives at a point of common ground. The sector is full of froth, scams, speculators, and suckers who are way, way in over their heads. Indeed, the outright scams are so dense and noisy that even crypto's greatest advocates are going on record with a wish for a new crypto winter. That is, a crash that will clear away all the crap. But would it? In Cryptocurrency, the power of memes, financial analyst Alex Picard proposes that the value of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies comes from a mix of four factors. One, the fair value. This is the actual intrinsic value of having a medium of exchange and account. We've heard a lot about this from cryptocurrency advocates who make claims about the permanence, privacy, speed, censorship resistance, and transborder utility of cryptocurrency. Again, no reasonable person would deny that, at least some of the time, all of these things are valuable. Notwithstanding that they come at a cost, money laundering, criminal financing, and the claims may be overstated, especially about privacy and speed. 2. The avant-garde premium. This is the value that comes from being visionary enough, or lucky enough, to buy into a cryptocurrency before its value is demonstrated. There's lots of evidence for this. People who bought good coins early on saw them go way up in value. 3. The Speculation Premium This is the lottery ticket that brings in the majority of cryptocurrency investors. Indeed, if you're buying cryptocurrency to hold rather than to use, you are definitionally a speculator. You're not buying cryptocurrency because you need currency— the way you might buy some euros before getting on a plane to Paris, say, but because you think they will go up in value. 4. The Byzantine Premium This is the value that comes from having a lot of suckers who buy crypto assets that they don't understand on the grounds that they've seen lots of people get rich doing so. The speculation premium comes from at least halfway smart money, but the Byzantine Premium comes from stupid money the suckers at the table. Again, I think even the most ardent coiner wouldn't argue with this analysis, though there's room for disagreement about how much of the value of any given crypto is attributable to which factors. But Picard's point isn't just that the value of crypto decomposes into real value, vision, speculation, and sucker's money. It's that if the coiners are right, and if they succeed in replacing real money, or fiat currency, with cryptocurrency, then three out of four of these will go away. In other words, if the dollar is replaced by the ETH, that will kill the avant-garde premium, because cryptos won't be the new thing on the block, and the speculation premium, because ETH will have stabilized so it can be used as a medium of account and exchange, and the Byzantine premium, 
because ETH will just be money, and it will be a lot harder to rope in suckers who think of it as a complex magical asset. This makes for a useful framework for understanding Kevin Roos's New York Times article, Bitcoin was made for this moment, so why isn't it booming? Roos starts by citing Coiner's rhetoric about the desirability of currencies that aren't under democratic control via a public institution, but rather are controlled by market forces alone. The theory that cryptocurrency is a safe haven from instability, authoritarianism, censorship, and inflation. Today, the world is experiencing significant inflation due to a combination of war, supply chain shocks, and price-gouging monopolies, instability, and the leader of a democratic state invoking a doomsday law meant to address national calamities to break a demonstration by seizing protesters' bank accounts. But far from spiking... Cryptos are generally down. In his investigation of this phenomenon, Roos talks with experts who say that the volatility, complexity, and speculation in cryptos has made them unattractive, even to people who are truly alarmed by instability, authoritarianism, and inflation. Even people who are relying on crypto, donors to protesting truckers in Ottawa and even the finance minister of Ukraine, tell Roos that the role cryptocurrency plays in their causes is, at best, a minor one. Which brings me back to Picard's framework for understanding the value of cryptocurrency. If the wealth of successful coiners depends on the maintenance of novelty, speculation, and confused gamblers, how many of them are truly hoping that their project actually becomes a currency? It's certainly true that the fair value of crypto will shoot up if it somehow comes to replace a major fiat currency, but nowhere near enough to cover the fall that will come from shedding all the value that comes from novelty, speculation, and suckers. All right, then, I will eat some mussels and frites and think of you while I watch The Pissing Boy Fountain and take a copyright-infringing photo of the Atomium, and I will speak to you next week when I get back from Brussels. You've been listening to the Cory Doctor Podcast, licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike US 3.0. Or as Woody Guthrie put it in another context, this song is copyrighted in the US under seal of copyright 154085 for a period of 28 years, and anyone caught singing it without our permission will be a mighty good friend of ours, because we don't give a dern. Publish it, write it, sing it, swing to it, yodel it, we wrote it, that's all we wanted to do. Many thanks to John Taylor Williams for mastering. That's Rynex Studio, W-R-Y-N-E-C-K Studio at gmail.com. John Taylor Williams is a full-time self-employed audio engineer, producer, composer, and sound designer. In his free time, he makes beer, jewelry, odd musical instruments, and furniture. He likes to meditate, to read, and to cook. Talk to you next week. <laughs>